from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. You have your Bibles? John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And we're going to work our way down to about verse 24 this morning. This is one of those chapters, it, it, uh, it's a long chapter by having 52 verses, but it's also one of those chapters when you just read it, it doesn't seem like there's as much there as is actually there. There's, there's a lot in chapter 7, a lot is going on in, in chapter 7, and originally we were going to work our way all the way down to verse 52, but hands up if you're surprised, Gary couldn't cover that many verses without spending three hours here this this morning, even even though we're eating afterwards, I thought that would be a little bit of a stretch. So we're only going to work our way down to verse 24, and we're going to look at really Jesus's timeline and his authority, but how that impacts us as believers as well. And so we're going to connect those two together. So let's go just let's just go straight to the text this morning. Verse 1 of John chapter 7 says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am, I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine. Just lost my place. Excuse me. Verse 16. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but he, but his who sent me. If anyone, anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If one on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So this morning, as we work down through those verses, looking at the issue of time and authority, just two points uh, to think on this morning. Number one, 
as believers, we must submit to God's timing. We must submit to God's timing. And we see this actually as Jesus Himself submits to a divine timeline. When we come to verse 1, we're just told, after this, go through the Gospel of John, you will see Him say that many times, after this, after a couple months, after something. He uses indefinite periods of time just so that we can see the progression. After what? Well, remember in chapter 6 is when we had the, the, the people who were looking for Jesus and trying to get to Him, the feeding of the 5,000, the bread of life. So after all of this, He remains in Galilee. He doesn't go back to Judea because the religious leaders are wanting to kill Him. They're looking for Him. He is, he is upsetting the religious status quo. And so He's not going back. He's staying there. John tells us that after the Passover... After this time, it is now the Feast of Booths, also the Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of three pilgrimage feasts where you would go up to Jerusalem, Passover and Pentecost being the other two. So there is John setting the stage for us, why Jesus is in Galilee, what the timeline is. And then all of a sudden, in verse 3, we're introduced to his brothers, or more specifically, technically, his half-brothers, okay? So his half-brothers are about to go up as a devout family would do. So they're going to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. They're preparing, right? And, and we don't have anything quite uh, comparable to it, right? Uh, we're going to talk more about the Feast of Booths next week. But if I told you that it was like a Jewish camping festival and that you would camp out, it kind of gives you, if you were going camping, what you would need for camping because there is a camping aspect to the Feast of Booths. So there's more preparation than just showing up in Jerusalem. Plus, there's no cars, the transportation. There's a lot of preparation to make this journey. So what do his brothers do? They, they look at Jesus and say, hey, I know that you're here. But why don't you go up to Judea? Come on, let's go. Now, it would sound like his brothers was just encouraging him to do what Jesus was supposed to do. Right? I mean, you read verse 4, and it just says, Hey, leave here, you know, go to Judea. Your disciples can see what you're doing. No one works in secret. You know, show yourself to the world. Let's go. You're teaching. Let everybody see who you are. We wouldn't think too much about that unless if we didn't have verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. So the urging then of the brothers is not, we know that you're the Messiah. We know that you've come to save the world. It's, we don't believe you. We don't think that you're the Messiah. You're hiding out in Galilee. If you are who you say you are, go to Judea, go to the temple, and announce your presence with authority. So the world can see. Stop hiding in secret. Go show everybody. This is very reminiscent. Remember John chapter 2? Mary comes up to Jesus. Hey, go do this. Let everybody know who you are. Don't be hiding at some wedding in Cana. Go and announce it to the world. 
it's kind of weird to, to look at this and go, his brothers then at this point, they're no different than the crowd. Remember the crowd after the, the feeding of 5,000? Remember the next day, the crowd, we followed you because we want to see another sign. What sign are you going to do? Hey, that feeding uh, of us with the two loaves and the fish and everything, or the five loaves and the two fish, that was awesome. Can you do another sign? Here, Jesus' brothers are saying the same thing. Go do a sign. You're nothing more than a miracle worker. Go do a sign. We don't believe in you. Now, I want to give the brothers a little bit of credit, or or a little bit of slack, just, just a little bit. Can you imagine... If Jesus was your brother, I mean, right? So again, y'all know I'm I'm, I'm the only child. I, I was perfect. Uh, I never did anything wrong. Hey, mom. Um, if if mom, if after the service, if you would just please just don't don't take any questions. Um, but some of y'all had brothers and and. and, and it, Somebody in the family of siblings was the perfect sibling, right? Even if they weren't, somebody was. Right? Now, now elevate that to where the sibling actually was per- perfect. I mean, you know? Right? He did no wrong. He did no wrong. I mean, I know we think of Jesus in His ministry and not sinning. Jesus never sinned. So as a, a little kid, He never sinned. And so you have to wonder if there was just some resentment that built up over those years with the brothers. So they don't, they don't believe. Even though they've seen the same signs, they, they don't believe. Go, do more signs. Now, we know later that his brothers do come to believe after the resurrection. But at this point, they don't. Stop hiding. Stop being secretive. It's your time, Jesus. Now's your time. Go. Y'all ever said that to Jesus? Y'all, y'all ever had that friction between your timeline and, and, and God's timeline? Right? Because the, his brothers are sure that now's the time. And we've been sure in our prayers that now's the time. It's, it's, it's the right time. And man, when God's timeline doesn't line up with our timeline, we get frustrated. Right? God, I had everything planned. I had, I had everything ready to go. But then when God doesn't do our bidding, because let's, let's, let's call it what it is. God doesn't do our bidding. We, we get upset. Or there's the, the urgency of the now. God, you got to do this now. You got to do this now. You got to do this now, 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 now. And man, sometimes I think that, that we get so focused on the urgency of the now for God to act because we believe if he doesn't act now, he's not going to act. All right, God, if you don't do it right now, I don't trust you to do it tomorrow, a month, a week, a year, two years down the road. It's got to be now. Otherwise, God, you're going to forget me. And you're not going to do this. So our, our timelines don't match up sometimes. And in this case, Jesus... Time is not matching up with his brothers because we know that, that God moves on his own timeline. And in our lives, God moves on his own timeline to bring about his own glory. And that's what Jesus is telling them. He's going to do it on his own timeline to bring himself his glory. Now, here's the really great thing for us. 
When Jesus moves on His timeline to bring Himself glory, we end up being the recipients of His glory. He does something greater than we can possibly think. Greater than, he can, than we can possibly know. We end up being beneficiaries of that. Right? And in that moment, God's time is best for us even if we thought the timeline should be different. Because everything that He does is perfect. Everything that He does is according to His will. And as believers, we have to submit to His schedule, to His timeline. And that's what the brothers are having a hard time doing. Right? Because we read this, we're probably cheering on the brothers. Are we not? Go, Jesus. Right? Go now. Do it. Do it now. But Jesus says, I'm not going now. I'm not going now. That, that's what he says to them. Look, he says, look, my hour in verse 6 has not yet come. Same thing he said to Mary. He says, my, my time has not come. So when we read in John, and it talks about the hour or his time, what we have to understand that that time in Jesus, for Jesus is the cross. So when Jesus looks at his disciples and say, look, you're wanting me to go up and reveal that I'm the Messiah. My time when the ultimate revelation that I am the Messiah is revealed to everyone will be on the cross. That's my time. And until then, I'm not going to act contrary to the divine timeline that I am on. Right? All of Jesus' life is according to a divine timeline. Galatians 4 4. In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. There it is, definitive timeline. Jesus says, It's not now, but the hour is coming where he will go to the cross. And just as it says in verse 7, he says, Look, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Right? Now, this is interesting. You think, how does this correlate to the timeline? Because when Jesus came into the world, He came in to expose the evil deeds of the world. Right? He is the light. He, he shines it on the world. He shines it onto the religious leaders, and the world hates Him for that. Right? We don't like to think about that, but we don't like to be called a sinner. So Jesus shows up and calls you a sinner, and you're not going to like it having that pride and self-righteousness exposed. They don't, they don't want it exposed. So if Jesus then acts according to His brother's timeline, if He goes up to Jerusalem, if He, he does all this and say, here I am, what ends up happening is Jesus then is no better than the religious leaders who is looking to set Himself up So he tells the brothers, "Hey, it's it's not it's not time. This is not time. I don't want to. I'm not seeking crowds for fame and fortune, right? They want Jesus to go up and have the crowds follow him. And Jesus says, "That's not it. My time is to go to the cross and die for the sins that are being exposed. That's my time. And when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, when His hour comes, what happens?" 
right? He goes to the cross. He's glorified on the cross. Who ends up being beneficiaries of Jesus sticking to the divine timeline? We are. We end up being the beneficiaries for in that hour when the time is right, He provides our salvation. And He was he did this because He was acting under God's authority. Which leads us as believers, if Jesus is acting that way, leads us as believers then secondly to submit to God's authority as well. Right? So there's a divine timeline that we submit to. And there's divine authority that we submit to. And we see Jesus explaining this. Now, one thing that is interesting that we, that we have to, to deal with is Jesus says, I'm not going up to Jerusalem, and then we find Him in Jerusalem. <laughs> and we got to go, um, what's happening? Well, why did He go? Did He, did he lie? Well, no. This, this is one of those things where language is just different. Right? If I ask you um, if you're going if you're going to go uh if you're going to go see a movie and you say, Nope, I'm not going to go see that movie. What did you just tell me? That you're never going to go see that movie, right? That that's how we in the South, that's how we hear it. Right? That this is different because when we answer that question, we don't answer that question as what we're doing right now. Right? We don't answer the question, no, I'm not going to go see that movie right now unless we ask a different question. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm not going right now. I'm not going right now under your timeline to do what you told me to do at this moment. Okay? So there's no issue with two verses later, Jesus ending up in the temple. Okay? There's no contradiction. There's no lie. Jesus did not mislead his disciples. He answered it in normative language that they understood, that we understood, because y'all have been around America to know we speak the same language, but sometimes we don't speak the same language. Right? That's what happens here. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And even before He gets there, look in verse 11. Even before He gets there, they're looking for Him. Where is He? Where, where is he? I mean, Jesus' ministry is causing a stir. And so everybody is looking around because a good religious Jew would be in Jerusalem for this feast, so they're looking around. He's got to be here. He's got to be here. He was over here at Passover because I remember what he did. He healed that guy on the Sabbath, which, by the way, they're still not over. So he's got to be here. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And there's all this discussion going on about Jesus. Now, this is really interesting. Look at verse 12. In the ESV, and I didn't check the other translations, but in the ESV it says, and there was much muttering. That's, that's a unique word. It's also used in verse 32. There's much muttering. We've actually already seen this word before. Okay? Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Where? We have seen it in chapter 6. I'm looking for the reference. Excuse me, didn't jot that down. It says that the disciples were grumbling. All right? When the disciples heard this, it's hard saying, and, and they, they begin to grumble. The word mutter and grumble is the same word. 
Now, now think with me, because a lot is go- there's a lot that, that, that goes on from chapter 6 all the way to the end of chapter 8. I don't know if you've picked up on it. I've tried to hint at it, and I haven't come out and quite said it explicitly. Have you noticed the whole Exodus motif beginning in John chapter 6? There's the bread. There's the miraculous feeding of the crowds. There's the, the, the water miracle. Right? There, there, there's a Moses that keeps being invoked. Chapter 6 to the end of chapter 8, there's a huge Exodus motif going on. Do you remember one of the things that the people during the Exodus did in the wilderness? Anybody remember what they did? They grumbled. They grumbled against the Lord. Now, we know what grumbling is. Right? We know what muttering is. It's that low-volume speech that has an edge to it. Right? Israelites, I can't believe you brought us out here into the desert. We would have done the desert. There ain't no food. There ain't no water. Right? Here, I'll, I'll make it modern for you. I can't believe Gary's going to preach only at 12 o'clock. There's food downstairs. I don't know why. Right? Y'all laughing. Y'all were doing it in Sunday school. She confessed. Right. See, we don't think of grumbling as a sin. We 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 don't. We're picking. Okay, we're picking. That's one of those language things. We're t- we're talking on different language now. We're going from grumbling in Sunday school to picking, so it's all good. All right. But that was the sin in the wilderness. They were grumbling against the Lord. They didn't like what he was doing. And their grumbling leads to their disobedience where they don't go into the promised land. So imagine this. This this is the end. Jesus is coming up to Jerusalem and there's all this grumbling because they don't know what to do with Jesus. Who do you think he is? I don't know who he is. He's some crazy miracle worker. Yeah, yeah. Did you you know he did something on the Sabbath? I can't believe he did something on the Sabbath. Who does he think he is? Right? They're trying, they're, they're grumbling. And, and we see where their grumbling leads, right? You go to verse 4. Uh, he's just a, he's a miracle worker. Those brothers just wanted to see signs. You go to verse 12. No, we, we, he must be a, a, a good man, maybe. And good, we always have to remember that good in the scripture carries uh, righteous overtones. Right? Maybe he's just a good man. But I don't know if he's a good man or not. And others are going, no, 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 no. He's not a good man. He's just the opposite. He, he's a deceiver. He's, he's leading people astray. No, 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 no. Verse 20. You're a possessed lunatic. Ain't nobody trying to kill you. Well, maybe he's a prophet. No, 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 no. He doesn't meet all the requirements. He's not the prophet. Could it, could it be the, the, the Christ? No, he's not the Christ. He's from Galilee. They have no idea who this Jesus is. And they're grumbling and muttering to each other, trying to figure it out. Now, you've got to be careful because that grumbling or muttering is going to lead them to disobedience where if they don't step out of it, they're not going to hear Jesus for who He is. They're not going to get past their grumbling. They're going to stay there and they're going to stay in their disobedience. So when Jesus comes in and He starts teaching, right? Verse 15, he starts teaching. That's part of the reason why they're so amazed. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Again, that's grumbling. That's not necessarily an amazement. 
does he do this? He's just some carpenter from the backside of Nazareth. He can't possibly know all this. How does he, how does he do it? Now Jesus right here, again, does one of those things where he's issuing an invitation even though he doesn't stand up and say, I invite you to follow me. But when you read Jesus' words and you see what he's doing, you can see the invitation is there because they're trying to figure it out. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Uh, the, the question that they're asking is, where does he derive his authority? Right? Because if you were teaching in the temple, what that means was that you sat underneath another rabbi. And basically, you learned all that that rabbi stood for and all that he taught, and then you went out and you taught the same thing. And after a while, after many years, you got to the point where maybe you could teach something on your own. You didn't just do that. Right? We, we, we kind of understand that today in colleges and universities. If you go and you get your PhD, you, you concentrate in one narrow field and, and you keep reciting the same stuff over and over and over and over. And then eventually, if you get your PhD, you can go out and teach something, a different interpretation. He has no authority. He's not been to the right schools. He's not sat underneath the right rabbis. He has no authority to come and to teach. Now, for us, that's a bit ironic, right? Because we've read John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know where Jesus derives His authority from. They have no idea. So when He answers to he answers them, His answer is really an invitation. My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. In the temple, there would have been rabbis over here teaching and rabbis over here teaching and rabbis over here teaching and people making noise. And I imagine when Jesus says this, that it got quiet. Because what did Jesus just say? When you read that verse and you go, what did Jesus just say? What He says is, God the Father was my teacher. So that when I speak, I speak the Father's words. The authority I have is from God Himself. I speak, God speaks. That's a pretty amazing claim, is it not? And all those other rabbis would have heard it because they can't claim that. Rabbi over here can claim that his authority comes from the other rabbi who came from the other rabbi who came from the other rabbi. It's a, you know, just a series of progressions of rabbis. Jesus says, I didn't need a rabbi because I speak for God. God speaks, I speak. That's just, that's incredible. So that's my authority. And they can't understand it. They cannot understand that. 
Because surely his authority has to be man-made. Now, how does this impact us as believers? All right, how, how do we, what, what is this informing us? Well, what it's informing us or how it helps us to understand is this. Because people have asked, you have asked this question, and it goes like this. How do we know what Jesus teach is true? How do we know? We've discussed this in Sunday school. Right? How, how do we know that Jesus' teaching is, is true? Because somebody else could come out and say, hey, I speak for God. I, you know, when I speak, God speaks. Now, I'm pretty sure in all the years I've preached, I have never said that. Right? And I'm, I am incredibly careful. My authority is not my own. The authority that we have today is, is Scripture, not me. So how, though, do we know that, that Jesus... What he says is true. He gives us the answer. Look at verse 17. And we're going to have to dive deeply on this one just a bit. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. If anyone's will, he will know. In that sentence, Jesus connects the head and the heart. Right? Do you see him connecting knowledge with obedience? Do you see that? If anybody, if anyone's will is to do God's will, obedience, he will know. Now we agree with that. Right? We agree with head knowledge and heart knowledge. Did you notice the order? The order is critically important. Between obedience and knowledge, according to Jesus, which comes first? If anyone does God's will. Jesus says that obedience comes before knowledge. Okay, well that's that's interesting. I mean, I mean, does he, uh, right? You would think that we know first, and then we would obey. Now, there, how how do we, what, what do we do with this? Is is this Jesus just being some kind of pragmatist saying? And, and I, I, we are probably guilty of saying that. I'm probably guilty of saying this, right? Well, just try Jesus and see if it works, right? Is that what Jesus is doing? Just some kind of shallow pragmatic invitation? It's it, it's it's really not. Jesus, what He is doing is saying, if you submit, right? If you submit your will to God's will, if you submit to God's authority, what you're going to discover is that everything that I teach is true. Does that make sense? Submit to my authority, submit to God's authority, and you will know and discover that my teaching is true. Now, we have another problem with this, don't we? Because basically what Jesus just said, or what He just makes is, He makes a self-authenticating truth claim. Right? Which isn't as complicated as you think it is. Have you ever told somebody to do something or something is right, and they go, 
Why? And you go, because I said so. Right? That right there, that, that is a self-authenticating truth claim. I said it is, so therefore it is. We don't need any external justification, any external... I said, it's, it's all here. And when somebody says that to us, right? The next question out of our mouth goes back to the very first question that they were asking Jesus. Under whose authority? I don't take your authority for saying it that that's true. Under whose authority do you make this claim? So here is Jesus making a self-authenticating truth claim that says, when you obey, you will know and understand. Why is his claim different? Why can Jesus say that? Here's why. Because as the foundation of all truth, we cannot set ourselves outside of his truth to evaluate if it's true. We use my favorite example, gravity, right? I like gravity. We like gravity. Everybody likes gravity. How do we know gravity is true? I could pick something up. I can... There. We saw that gravity just worked. In that scenario, we are outside of gravity. We are watching gravity work. We can also negate gravity. We have the ability to do that. Anybody know how they train astronauts? to be uh, zero-G. Anybody know how they do that? I'm not going to tell you the nickname of the plane that they use because we go eat lunch. But they have this big plane that they, they fly in this huge parabola, this huge arc. And at the peak of the arc, when it comes down, you experience weightlessness. And for like 10, 15, 20 seconds, you can float. Again, we can negate gravity and we can stand outside of gravity and evaluate its truthfulness. When it comes to Jesus and His divine truth claim, we cannot step outside of it. If Jesus is God as He says that He is, and His teaching is from God so that when He speaks, God speaks. If that is true, we cannot say, okay, hold on Jesus, you stay right there. I'm going to step back over here. I'm going to watch all of this and I'm going to evaluate it to see if it's true. Because if we do that, who just became God? We did. And in that moment, if we become God, and we all know that we're not, we like to think that we are, but we know that we're not, then everything that Jesus is teaching is a lie. So the only way to see that what Jesus is teaching is true is to submit ourselves to His authority. To judge it not from the outside of the truth claim, but inside and underneath His claim. So that when you do that, you will discover that what He teaches is true. Do you see the ramifications of this for a believer? Right? It, it, it has two major implications. Number one, it has everything to do with our salvation. Because when we submit to His authority, 
We're going to find out that what he's teaching is true. And in finding out what he's teaching is true, we're going to see, hey, he does go to the cross. He does die for our sins. He is resurrected. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. And therefore, through him, we can be saved, just as John said, so that through him you may have life. But it starts with obedience. It doesn't, it doesn't start with knowledge. But then secondly, the second implication of this quickly is that it grounds us in all truth. So that when you hear somebody preaching, when you hear me preaching, and you have already submitted yourself to God's authority and to Jesus' authority, and you go to Scripture and you go, "Mm, Gary, what you said didn't make much sense. I don't think that that's true. Your obedience to God's will will help you understand and to know God's Word better and lead you to sanctification so that when you hear teaching, you will know whether it is right or not. Not whether you agree with it. That's different. It can be right and you not agree with it, which makes you wrong. But it all starts with obedience. So as believers, you became a believer because you submitted yourself to the authority of Christ. And now you're growing in sanctification and knowing more about Him because you submit yourself daily to Him and to God's will. That's what we're supposed to do. And the two work together because now we're all right. God... It's your timeline. I submit myself joyfully to your obedience. I submit my will to your will. So that on your timeline, you will work in my life and you will do what you are going to do to bring yourself honor and glory. And I will be the recipient of that. And the biggest way that I am the recipient of it is because I submitted my will to your will, understood who Jesus was, made a faith commitment to Him and that I believe He is the Savior, and submitted my will so that I know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that He is the Messiah, and therefore I am a redeemed believer in Christ. Sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? And it all happens when we step, put ourselves aside and say, Jesus, I'm submitting to your timeline, and I'm submitting to your will. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.